Well, many, many years ago, when our children were small, we spent New Year's Eve with my brother Scott and his wife, Wynette. Uh, we uh, had all of the kids there, uh, our kids and his kids, and we put the kids down to go to sleep, and then we decided the adults were going to have our dinner. And so we began to grill steaks. Now, it was January in California, so it was warm enough that you would think about grilling steaks on December 31st and January 1st, but cold enough that you didn't really want to be outside. You know, when I say cold, California cold would mean it was 45, 50 degrees, you know. And so my brother and I and their dog Herbie were gathered around the, the grill and we were grilling steaks. And when a steak would be done, uh, we would put it on a plate and we would carry it to the pass-through window into their kitchen and hand it in. And then we'd come back and we'd finish grilling steaks. Well, as is always the case when you grill steaks, one steak seems to take three or four hours longer than the other one to be, the other ones to be ready, right? And so finally, that last steak was ready, and Scott just grabbed it with tongs and started carrying it across the patio to that pass-through window. And that's when I noticed Herbie's eyes. Herbie was dealing with temptation. He was seriously tempted. He seemed to know that he could jump and have that steak, and he was deciding what to do. He crouched and got ready to pounce just about the time the steak made it safely through the pass-through window. Then Herbie kind of sulked off to the corner of the patio and laid down. Have you ever seen your dog pout? Because Herbie was definitely pouting that night. And I remember thinking that night, I wonder if when I am dealing with temptation, if it's that obvious in my eyes. I wonder if when I'm tempted, people can spot that temptation as clearly in my eyes as I spotted it in Herbie's eyes that night. I already know, I already know that there have been times when I have resisted temptation when I have pouted about missing out on sin rather than praising God for being able to avoid sin. Temptation, it's something that all of us deal with. It's something everybody wrestles with, and it's a subject that Jesus included in his model prayer when he was teaching his followers to pray. There's one theme that runs through Scripture, and it's the fact that people are prone to give in to temptation and the lengths that God goes to save us from its tragic consequences. Temptation started a long time ago. It began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God said, you can eat anything. This garden's for you. You can eat anything in this garden, all the vegetables, all the fruit, except the fruit of this one tree, the fruit of the not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, you can have it all except for that tree. And one day the snake approaches them and begins to tempt them. The snake says, 
Are you sure that's what God meant? Are you sure that's what he meant? I mean, did he really say you couldn't eat of the fruit of that tree? Did he, is that what he really meant? Did he really mean that? He said, you're not going to die if you eat the fruit of that tree. You're not going to die. I mean, look at it. Look at it. Look at how beautiful that fruit is. Think about how great it would taste. And you know what? If you eat of that fruit, you will be like God. You will become like God. And so they ate. They ate of the fruit and they fell from God's good graces and we have been struggling with temptation ever since. Their story has become my story. Their story has become your story too. And just like Adam and Eve, it, it becomes really easy for us to give excuses when we give in to temptation. It's my boss's fault. I, I just couldn't help it. Everybody's doing it. Nobody's perfect. I, I didn't know it was wrong. I, I was pressured into it. I didn't have any other choice. It's just the way I'm made. But the truth is, we give in to temptation. And when that happens, we've just listened to the wrong voices. We've listened to the wrong voices. I mean, it really is like that old cartoon where there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. Uh, and we have two voices in our ears. One is the voice of good that invites us to live in his love and to pursue his will. And the other voice tempts us to do the opposite of whatever it is that God wants us to do. His aim is to derail us, to disrupt our relationships and destroy our souls. And because of this reality, Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this sentence may be the most confusing part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. It may be the most confusing part of what we call the Lord's Prayer because when we pray, lead us not into temptation, it sounds like we think the Lord might do that. That he might lead us into temptation. And so why would we plead for God not to lead us into temptation when we know that he would never do that? Look at what it says in James chapter 1. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James says very clearly, God doesn't tempt us. And uh, we'll get back to Jesus' teaching uh, us to pray in just a minute. But this short verse helps us to see at least three facts about temptation. Here they are. The first one is this, temptation is inevitable. Temptation is inevitable. Notice the verse says, when tempted, not if tempted. All of us are going to be tempted. We are going to find ourselves desiring things that are sinful, things that are outside of God's plan for our lives. And one of the reasons that we have to learn to deal with temptation is because we're going to deal with temptation. 
we're going to be tempted. It isn't just a problem of immature followers of Christ or weak Christians. It's the problem that all of us have. Temptation is inevitable, and that makes the next fact really important. Temptation isn't sinful. Temptation isn't sinful. Being tempted isn't a sin. Even Jesus was tempted. The temptation only leads to sin if we give in to temptation. And then the third fact is this, temptation never comes from God. Not ever. The verse is very clear. God never tempts us towards evil. I've heard people try to blame God for their temptation. They say, God put this temptation in my path to test me. No, he didn't. He doesn't do that. Satan puts temptation in our path to trip us up. James wants to make it clear, God never tempts us to sin while asking us not to sin. He never tempts us. So, if temptation never comes from God, what is Jesus suggesting we pray when he says that we should pray, lead us not into temptation? I think he's suggesting that you invite him to lead you, that you invite him to lead you. Now, normally we see the passage like this, lead us not into temptation, and then the comma. But there was no punctuation in the original text of the Bible. And so those who translated the Bible into English had to decide where our punctuation marks would go in the sentence. And they did a pretty good job, I think. But what would happen if we just moved the comma and put it here? Lead us not into temptation, which is saying, Lord, let me listen to your voice, and uh, I want you to lead me in a way so that I won't end up walking towards temptation because I have this natural tendency to do just that. I have this natural tendency to do just that. Maybe the best way I've heard it explained is from Max Lucado. He writes in his book, The Great House of God, imagine a father and a son walking down an icy street the father cautions the boy to be careful, but the boy is too excited to slow down. He hits the first patch of ice, up go the feet, and down go the bottom. Dad comes along and helps him to his feet. The boy apologizes for disregarding the warning, and then tight, tightly holding his father's big hand, he asks, keep me from the slippery spots. Don't let me fall again. The father is so willing to comply. The Bible says the steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Such is the heart of the petition. It's a tender request of a child to a father. The last few slips have taught us the walk is too treacherous to make alone. So we place our small hand in his large one and say, please, Abba, Keep me from evil. So the point is really who is leading us? Who is guiding us? I, I think Jesus is suggesting that when we pray, lead us not into temptation, the key prayer is that we're inviting him to lead us. He wants us to pray about who's leading our lives. And all through the Bible, we see God trying to lead his people 
I mean, he tried to lead the Israelites in the wilderness by a column of smoke during the day and a, a pillar of fire at night. And God gives them the law and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And he said, if you listen to my commands and you obey them, you'll be blessed. And God tried to lead Israel as a young nation in the face of mounting threats from surrounding nations. And how did they respond? His nation, the chosen people, cried out for a king, a human ruler to rule them so that they could be like the nations that God was trying to rescue them from. And later, as his people wandered again and again away from him, he again and again sent prophets to call them back into his will. Do you remember the words of Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I will always have everything I need. He gives me green pastures to lie in. He leads me by calm pools of water. He restores my strength. He leads me on right paths to show that he is good. In the Old Testament and today, God wants to lead us on the right paths and to calm places rather than dangerous and chaotic places. In the New Testament, Jesus continued to try to lead his people. He was constantly asking people to follow him. His closest friends, his disciples, uh, he asked them to follow him, to come with him and follow him. He, he also said that the good shepherd knows his sheep and, the sheep and his sheep would follow him. He said that if I really want to belong to him and you really want to belong to his group, we would need to be willing to deny ourselves, not, not deny ourselves things, not deny ourselves certain items, but to deny me, to deny ourselves and to sacrifice everything and to take up our cross and follow him. So to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. And that means that he gets to lead us. And the truth is, we don't need to be led into temptation. We don't need to be led into temptation because we tend to get there on our own. We do a good job getting there on our own. When we lead ourselves, when we set the direction of our lives, we end up in temptation. I read of a man who was on a diet, and he was trying really hard to do well, but he loved donuts. And he was trying really hard to do well, but one day he showed up at work and he had a box of donuts with him. And his friend said, we thought you were dieting. And he said, I am, but as I was coming to work, I really wanted donuts. And so I prayed and I said, if there is a parking space available right by the front door of the donut shop, I will stop and get donuts. And he said, sure enough, as I passed by, there was a parking space available on my eighth trip around the block. <laughs> Been there, haven't you? Same thing happens to us. I mean, we really want to avoid the sin of gossip, but we just feel drawn to the conversation with juicy details about how someone else is messing up their lives, or we're trying to avoid money, but our page, our internet just seems to go right to that Amazon page, and we convince ourselves we'll just look and not buy anything. Or, But if you're like me, you just gravitate towards the things that tempt us. No one has to lead us there. 
we get there on our own. So if I'm going to avoid temptation, I need him to lead me. And him leading me means that he gets to set the direction. He gets to set the direction. He gets to help me avoid the things that would pull me away from him. So each day we should pray, I invite you to lead me. Help me to hear your voice. Help me to follow you. Help me to go your direction so I don't end up giving in to temptation. It really is a prayer asking him to lead us and protect us. Many years ago at a Promise Keepers uh, conference, Dennis Rainey was one of the main speakers for the event, and he placed some animal traps, about a dozen animal traps of different sizes, most of them big, uh, on the stage, and he opened them up and set them all And then Rainey invited a father and a son to come up, and he had the father blindfold his teenage son, and then had the father walk to the opposite side of the stage. And when he got there, he was supposed to call his son to come to him. And the son was to follow the father's voice and instructions to get safely through this maze of dangerous traps. The boy took only one step before the father called out, wait, stop, I'll keep you from uh, stepping in the traps. And the father ran back across the stage and took his son by the hand and led him safely through the traps. And that's a picture of the heart of this prayer. Lead us. Don't let us fall into temptation. We're saying, Father, Guide me in a way that will help me to avoid the traps of temptation. Secondly, Jesus is suggesting that you pray and ask him to rescue you. That you ask him to rescue you. After we ask Jesus to lead us, he teaches us to go on with our prayer and say, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus wants us to pray that we will be delivered from the evil one. And sometimes today, people seem to have a lot of strange ideas about this concept. I mean, some seem to scoff at the idea that there is an evil one, a devil, a tempter. This group thinks that we have kind of come up with this uh, concept as a convenient excuse to blame the things that we do wrong on. We have invented Satan or we have invented the devil so that we can have a scapegoat. They don't think there really is an evil one at all. In fact, some of them would argue that there's no such thing as evil. They don't live in the same world I live in. The opposite extreme sees a devil on every doorstep. They see evil everywhere. They seem to give way too much power to Satan. They almost make it sound like Satan is equal with God, that he can control the lives of even Christ followers, that he can make us do things that we really don't want to do. This group worries about hidden messages and music and about letting kids trick or treat or many other things. So what's the truth? What's the truth about the evil one? Well, since Jesus asks us to pray, deliver us from the evil one, I would take that to mean Jesus believes there is an evil one. He believes 
that there really is an evil one. He knows that Satan is real. But the Bible also clearly teaches that Satan has no power over us when we're submitting ourselves to Jesus. Satan cannot force us to sin. He cannot force us to rebel against God. Satan's power is limited compared to God's power. And I think sometimes we, get, we give him way too much credit. He can't make us do anything. But what he can do is tempt us. He can tempt us. He delights in trying to convince us that the truth is a lie and that lies are true. He delights in convincing us that things God says are not okay suddenly are. He loves to try to convince us to take just one small step away from God because he knows that one step can lead to another and we can end up very far from God. He has this way of tempting us to do something that we know is wrong. He tries to convince us that what we want to do isn't that bad. That it isn't that bad or that it will be okay just this one time. And he can be relentless. He can keep throwing the same temptation at us until finally we make the choice and we give in. But once we give in, he changes his tactics altogether. Oh, after we give in, he may pour on the guilt. He tells you to do this. He tempts you to do this. You do it. And he says, look at what you did. And you call yourself a Christian. You say you're a follower of Christ. You ought to be ashamed of you. Jesus is ashamed of you. Jesus could never love you after you did that. Or he might take another tactic. He might say, well, you've done it now. Doing it twice isn't any worse than doing it once. Might as well keep doing it. Might as well give in again. And maybe take just a little step further this next time. Because after all, you've already done it. You've already done it. He never lets up. That's why Jesus calls him the evil one. The evil one. And you know what I'm saying is right, don't you? You know it's right because you have watched it with others. I mean, someone you know was really close to Jesus. I mean, they were living for him and they were loving him and they were serving him and then temptation started. It could have been the temptation to get more money and they started working more and they couldn't come to church and now they're really far from God. They're a long way from God, or it could have been a temptation towards bitterness. Their feelings got hurt, and they pulled back from their growth group or pulled back from church, and now they have walked far, far away from Jesus. You've seen it in the lives of others, haven't you? And I'm guessing you've seen it in your life, too. I'm guessing you've seen it in your life, too. In some way or at some point, you were closer to Jesus than you've ever been. And the temptation started. You stumbled across pictures on the internet or 
you started drinking too much or you enjoyed the attention someone gave you or you started cutting ethical corners, telling just little lies, and now you have a secret or a sin that seems to keep you far from God. Satan is good at luring us away from our close relationship with Jesus. That's why we call him, well, evil, evil. So Jesus says we need to ask him to rescue us, to deliver us from the evil one. We need to pray for God's protection against the evil one. And a part of his protection is understanding the truth about temptation. Look at, what, uh, look at this verse from 1 Corinthians 10. It says this, the only temptations that you have are the same temptations that all people have, but you can trust God. He will not let you be tempted more than you can bear, but when you are tempted, God will also give you a way of escape, or a way to escape that temptation. Then you will be able to endure it. The passage tells us a couple of important things about temptation. First, it says your temptations are not unique. You might think they are, but your temptations are not unique. We all think that our temptation is different. We think that we're the only ones struggling with those particular lustful thoughts or those hateful attitudes or that secret sin that we can't seem to get, stop giving into. And the passage says, the temptations I have are the same temptations everyone else has. In a room this size, I can almost guarantee you that there is someone else sitting here who is drawn towards and struggling with the same temptation that you are feeling pulled towards in your life. Now, why is that important? Because one of the ways Satan likes to keep me sinning is to convince me that my situation's different. That somehow... My temptation is unique. I have special circumstances that make what I'm doing okay with God. We think, yes, ordinarily a person would be expected to forgive someone who has hurt them, but my situation isn't ordinary, and God would understand if I don't. Or in most cases, this sexual relationship would be sinful, but our situation is different, so God would say it's okay. Well, I know God wants me to tell the truth, but he also doesn't want me to hurt people's feelings. And in this case, telling the truth would hurt their feelings. So it's okay to lie. We are masters at making excuses. Because the evil one helps us with that. He helps us rationalize sin by helping us come up with excuses why our situation is unique, why our situation is the exception to God's rule. But here's the thing, it's not. It's not. Your temptation isn't unique, and that means your sin is sin just like everyone else's. And what God says is the right thing to do is the right thing for you to do. Your temptation is not unique. The second thing the passage says is your temptation can be resisted. 
It can be resisted. We like to pretend that we don't have the power to say no, that there are certain temptations that are too strong, that we think that we just can't stop ourselves, that we're powerless. But the passage says that's not true. And the reason it says that your temptation can be uh, resisted is very simple, and it's probably different than what you think. The reason that your temptation can be resisted, is, it says, is because you can trust God. You can trust God. That's the key phrase. You can resist your temptation because you can trust God. You can trust him, first of all, to not let you be tempted more than you can bear. And what that means is that any temptation you face, you can say no to because God can be trusted to keep it that way. And now why is that true? The passage says, uh, the passage tells us, it says, whenever we are tempted, God gives us a way of escape, an escape route out of the temptation. Not sometimes, but every time. Think about that sin that you fall into over and over again. That one that you've been trying to deal with for a while now. The passage says you are strong enough to say no to it. And that there is a God-provided escape route every time you face that temptation. What does a God-provided escape route look like? Just what does that look like? Well, often it's just going where you're supposed to go and doing what you're supposed to do. Many times our temptation and our sin causes us to go somewhere different than we should be going. I mean, we should be at home, or we should be in bed, or uh, we should be at church or at our growth group, and instead we're somewhere else. And sometimes God's escape plan is for me to just be where I'm supposed to be. Sometimes this escape route is the people that he puts in my life. I mean, he places people in our lives who we can talk to, who we can share our struggle with. And when we share our secrets and uh, talk to people and share our struggle, people in our growth group or uh, wise voices in our lives, they can help us to overcome sin and avoid sin and escape it. So when you're tempted to sin, look around. Look around. Somewhere, God has provided a way of escape because he's already promised that you are strong enough to overcome that sin and he can be trusted. He can be trusted. I had one more thought on this and it's an important one. While it's true that God has given us the strength to say no to any temptation that comes my way, I'm sorry to say I don't always say no. I don't always say no, sometimes I know it's sin. I know it's not what God wants. I may even see the escape route and walk the opposite way and walk directly into the choice to sin. I'm guessing I'm not the only one that's true of. I'm guessing that's true of you too. So that's another reason that Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one because we're going to sin. We're going to make the choice at some point to let sin lead our life instead of letting Jesus lead our life. And so when that happens, 
What do we do? What happens when we do give in to sin? What happens when I have known what's best and I've seen the escape route and I felt the urging of God trying to keep me from sinning and I still made the choice to sin? This next verse helps us to know the answer to that. Look at what it says in 1 John chapter 2. My children, I am writing this that you, so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, Jesus Christ always does the right thing and he will speak to the Father for us. Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sin and the sins of all the world's people. Again, one of the things that Satan does once we give in to his temptation and decide to sin is he tries to convince us that God is done with us. That God's totally done with us, that we have messed it up forever. But that's a lie. That's a lie. If you are a Christian, if you have trusted Jesus with your salvation, and you've given yourself completely to him, I want you to hear the truth. When we sin, Jesus will step in and speak to God on our behalf. Because I've trusted Jesus to save me when I sin, Jesus is my advocate, my lawyer with the Father. He says, he's one of ours, God. He belongs to us. He has trusted my sacrifice on the cross to pay for his sin and all of his sins, this sin. I died on the cross for that sin, and he has accepted the payment for it. Now, of course, Jesus wants to urge me back into the right path. He wants me to turn back to him and to live for him again and to get rid of the sin in my life. He wants that. But when I sin, Jesus always does the right thing. He keeps his promise and he forgives me because he loves me. And when he died on the cross, he died to deliver us from evil, to deliver us from the evil one, even when we've followed the evil one instead of him. And if you haven't yet, you need to let him make payment for your sin too. You need to trust him. You've got to admit that you have sinned, believe that he loves you, that he died to deliver you from the evil of your sin and to take care of that for you. You've got to turn away from your sin and turn back towards him. And then you need to commit yourself fully to him and signify that by being baptized into Christ, dying to who you were and living again for him. And if you feel trapped in your sin, if there's a sin you're struggling with and you need some help or you feel like you need to trust Jesus to take away your sin for the first time, we want to talk to you. You can step to our next steps canopy after the service. You can come and find me. Please don't leave here today without the assurance of knowing that he has delivered you from your sin, that you can be forgiven, that you can be changed, that he can give you power to say no to sin, that he provides you a way of escape from that sin that's been holding you back and holding you down. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father,
whenever we stand and talk about sin, it's a sinner talking to other sinners. Father, I'm so thankful for your forgiveness. I don't deserve it. But that's why it's grace. We thank you, Father, for your grace. And now, Father, would you be with each person in this room? Father, would you help us to turn back towards you? Father, some of us aren't willing, but we are willing for you to make us willing. Father, there are people in this room that they've not trusted you for their salvation yet. They don't know for sure that you have paid the price for their sin. Father, would you give them the courage to talk to someone today, to cross that line, to trust you completely so that when they sin, Jesus speaks on their behalf. Father, we're just so thankful that you love us even while we're struggling to follow you fully. Now, Father, we ask, would you lead us? Be the leader of our life. Don't let us stumble into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. And Father, we will give you the glory through Jesus, your son. Amen.